Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back. OutKick 360 is part of the OutKick network. Thanks to everyone out there either listening on the radio network on this Friday afternoon, watching it, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, we salute you. We thank you. And we've had a fun show so far today. Final hour of the show. Coming up in 20 minutes, we've got Ned Michaels, who's currently with the BBC. He is in Scotland right now at St. Andrews. So we'll get a full British Open discussion going with Ned Michaels in 20 minutes. But right now, so Glenn Gilbo, he's been a guest on this show. He covers the SEC, a columnist at Outkick.com. Uh, I've written a lot over you know the course of my career, but I'm a little bit newer, a little bit green to the Outkick writing, a weekly column every week. So I write a column about a juice meter. And Paul, I, I described it to you guys, but a juice meter across the SEC where very subjective. I looked at recruiting rankings, transfer portal, off-season buzz, you know, if there's off-field incidents or not around each team and kind of gave a little paragraph summation of the juice uh, around each team. I heard somebody didn't like it. And Glenn, I, I looked down on Twitter. I'm like, man, I haven't heard from you know Glenn in a while. And I, and I looked down, and Glenn is, uh, I wouldn't say destroying me or, or crushing it, but having some fun at my expense with the story. Now, Glenn's spent a lot more time in writing than I have, so I, I fully admit that going in. So Glenn Gilbo is on with us right now. Glenn, I, I, I've got to ask, was your major objection the content of the story? Was it... The overuse of the word juice, the term juice in general, uh, or, or was it opening with a quote from the great Derek Dooley that threw you off when you read the article? I like the juice part. And I, and as I said in the, in the first tweet, I, I like the column, um, but I didn't like starting off with, with Derek Dooley. It was a good quote by Dooley, but I, but I think Derek, uh, probably one of the least juicy coaches in SEC history, I would, I would say. Yes. Other than his orange pants. His orange pants were cool. The, but, there, there's uh, a lot of irony in opening uh, with a Derek Dooley quote, because I then followed it up with reference to Butch Jones, who's another failed SEC coach and failed Tennessee coach. So uh, I, I definitely but, opened with two guys though. who aren't juicy to talk about juice. That's for sure. Well, Butch, Butch though, had a couple of winning seasons. He had a couple of decent seasons. I thought he was going to be better – than he ended up being, but uh, no, I, I was kind of half kidding too uh, with, with that stuff, and I since took the tweets down. Oh, you don't need to do that. Uh, no, it, well, it, I looked it at was, him again. I looked at him again, and I thought, you know what? I was out of line. It there, was so, it was uh, fine. No, no, it was it was totally fine. But you're right. There was no juice around uh, the Derek Dooley tenure in Knoxville. There were back to back nine win seasons for Butch Jones, and he lasted right. five years instead of three. So. There definitely was some success there. I've got to get your take on this, though, Glenn, because I was thinking about your comments about Derek Dooley being quoted um, in my piece, and it got me thinking about 2010 Tennessee, LSU, and Baton Rouge 
in one of the nuttier endings to a football game that I can ever remember. I was at a tailgate in Tuscaloosa getting ready to watch Alabama and Florida that night, actually watching the game with Clay Travis at a tailgate, and a bunch of Tennessee fans are watching it, and I've never experienced a celebration like that, followed by people having to beckon you back to the television because something had happened, and what had happened was way too many men on the field for Tennessee. What was your perspective covering LSU at that time of that game? Well, that was that was two head coaches who really didn't know what they were doing at the end of that game. I mean, that LSU was one of the least deserving uh, uh, victors that I, that I can remember. Uh, they, they get down to the goal line, and actually, this wasn't Les Miles' fault. This was the offensive coordinator, Gary Croton, at the time. They had they were on the one-yard line, and the, and the clock's running out. The, the play clock is running out, and he sends in five substitutes you know, for, for a, a, a dive play, you know, that they, that they eventually won the game with, but he tried something fancy and, and that, that didn't work. And, 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 and they didn't get lined up. And then T Bob Abair, who's a radio star now in, in Baton Rouge, he saw the clock running down. He was the smartest guy on the field at that point. He just snapped the ball. So LSU wouldn't lose, uh, by the clock right there. And then, uh, that was the play, you know, it, it was fumbled. Tennessee got the ball, but that, but Tennessee had too many men on the field because Derek messed up too. Then LSU got another play, less overruled Gary Croton and just said, give it to the fullback and let's go up the middle, which is what they should have done first. And they won the game. But it's, it was a, it was one of the worst coached endings of, of a game I've, I've ever seen. And, and, and really Tennessee deserved to win. Give us an update uh, to the degree that you can about how Brian Kelly uh, has has fared and is faring um, in his first offseason at LSU. Well, you know, he, he inherited a mess. There, there's no question about it. He inherited much more of a mess than, uh, than Ed, Orge, Ed Orgeron inherited a very good program. People forget the uh, recruiting season before Les got fired, uh, he had a number five class. So Orgeron walked into a good situation uh, and made it better by getting Joe Burrow. But uh, Brian Kelly walked into a situation where the, the roster was a mess, the, the staff was a was a mess. I mean, you saw the uh, bowl game LSU was in. That, that was embarrassing. Uh, so since then, gradually, he's filled the roster through the portal. But, you know, the portal's a lot of backups, really, for the most part. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know how good they're going to be. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty average, actually. But, but And then he kind of started slow in recruiting. But this July, as I got a story up this week, uh, LSU's got nine commitments since, since July 1, and they jumped 35 spots in the Rivals.com rankings. So he's, he's made a late surge in recruiting. And uh, that was that was very much needed because the, the fans here were getting restless. But as far as this season's concerned, they're not going to be much better than eight wins, I would say. I'm going to get back into football, but I want to stick at LSU and, and talk about basketball just for a second. I, I read a lengthy story at The Athletic this morning detailing Matt McMahon. And, I mean, Glenn, it was ground zero. You know, when he got there and the immediate defections, I, I think there was a time where they didn't have a player a scholarship player no for a player. short time, right? They had no players. They couldn't even keep Sharif O'Neal. 
who, you know, is is was was barely played in his two seasons at LSU. And now they and, look good. They they have a solid yeah. roster from what he's done. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, Matt McMahon would have been a great hire for LSU, even without all the impending uh, probation. But when you consider, uh, you know, what he's done since he took over, uh, I mean, I think he's done a fabulous job. I mean, they're, they're going to be he's, – he's taken them from being really bad to being – slightly below average or average is what I think. And and that's, that's really something because I was thinking they might be like a two or three win team in the sec next year. Now they look like they might be closer to 500. So he he's done a fantastic job so far considering what he's up against. You know, one team on my juice meter in the sec West that I don't think I had juice, having juice, a lot of juice, juice was Mississippi state, uh, which is, you know, you think about Mike Leach and his personality and you think there's going to be a lot of juicy comments from him in the offseason. We haven't really seen much of that. And there's not a lot of buzz around that team or talk about them, Glenn. But is that necessarily a bad thing for Mississippi State when you see what they have returning this year? What, what do you think about that program heading into this season for Mike Leach? Well, you haven't heard a lot of juice out of Mike Leach and State. That's because Mike Leach is in Key West. <laughs> or taking in yes. drinking juice, hitting the juice, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, he, take, he takes it easy over over the summer, big time. What a personality! But I mean, Will Rogers is back. You know, I talked to Will Rogers at the Manning Passing Academy last month, and that that story was up this week at Outkick. And as long as they got Will Rogers and they have uh, Mike Leach figuring out the passing game, they're going to be good because he he he's able to make average quarterbacks better and 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 just knows how to get receivers of any ability open so they're always going to be a threat on offense and they were pretty good on defense last year I, I think they're going to be about the same or better uh this season in the SEC I, I I'm, I'm really impressed with uh with Leach as a coach and his defense is I mean he doesn't coach the defense but his defenses are usually better than you think um, so I think they're going to be right there in the middle of the pack in the league. Do you think Zach Calzada is going to be good enough at quarterback to make Auburn good enough to keep Brian Harson around for another season, given everything he's faced this past offseason? Boy, he's got four commitments, and he only had two before July. Uh, you know, so things are just not going well there. And, you know, Calzada is is an average quarterback who had a great game against Alabama last year. But for the most part, he's he's pretty average. He was not going to be the starter without the injury to Haynes King last year. So, no, I, I don't I would be surprised if if Harson makes it to uh, 2023. I, I see Auburn being, you know, around 500 this season, maybe maybe win six or seven. But. You know, that, that might not be enough for him to survive. Good or bad, give us uh, your biggest surprise team in the SEC and understanding that it's July 15th. So this could be kind of, I guess, overrated or underrated right now coming in or under-discussed or over-discussed coming into the season. You know, I think, I think Florida might be a surprise team this year. I mean, I don't think they're going to make the championship game, the SEC championship game, but but I think they're going to be better than they look, you know, their than their roster looks, and they haven't done, 
they haven't been banging it up in, in recruiting either so far under new coach Billy Napier. But I really think Napier is an, an excellent hire. And, I, I, you know, he's decent at quarterback where LSU is not. And I think um, I think Napier might be a pleasant surprise this season. Glenn, I know you're headed to Atlanta next week for SEC Media Days, and there's a lot to look forward to uh, with SEC Media Days next week. You'll be there w- without kick, and you'll be riding and have a lot of great coverage of that event. What are you most looking forward to next week? Is it simply whatever we get out of Greg Sankey about – the direction or the lack thereof with movement with the SEC? Well, I'm not expecting much from Greg Sankey. He he knows how to play the little cat and mouse game. He did it in Destin, and he'll do it again in in, in Atlanta. He's not going to say much about that. I, he tends to try to be kind of cute, and, and I think you'll see that. What I'm looking forward to is what the coaches have to say about USC and UCLA's addition to the Big Ten and what the Big Ten might do and what Notre Dame might do and what the SEC might do as far as adding Florida State, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, Duke, what, what, what have you. I'm interested in, in hearing what Coach Saban says about that and uh, what, what the coaches say. I think that's probably going to be the most interesting thing about media days going in. Do you think that Brian Kelly will revert to that Southern accent? At SEC Media Days, or will it go back to more of a standard accent from before when he was at Notre Dame? You know, you know he only used that accent once. The one time. It, it, yeah, he got really caught bad. up in the moment. It was really bad. Yeah, I don't know what he was trying to do. I, I, he that It was the worst Southern accent imitation I've heard since the Big Easy with Dennis Quaid. Did you see that movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were some terrible accents in that. In that movie, and, I, and I'm from New Orleans, so I, I know the real accents. But um, no, I don't know what Kelly was trying to do there. The only thing he did worse than that was when he tried to dance. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I want to hear what Kelly has to say about Notre Dame. You know, he must have seen Notre Dame possibly leaning toward a move into a conference, or I mean, that's an informed guy on Notre Dame. Obviously, I'd like to hear what he thinks Notre Dame going to the Big Ten. So that that's going to be interesting. If if he takes the bait, he might not want to want to talk about it. But um, you know, Kelly's uh, he's uh, he's got a tough job ahead of him. That there's no question. Their their roster is is still not in good shape. There's a lot of weak spots on that LSU team. You know, and I'm hearing they may be picked last in the West by the media at SEC Media Days. Glenn Gilbo, he will be in Atlanta for SEC Media Days next week on behalf of Outkick. He's an SEC columnist for Outkick.com at LSU Beat Tweet on Twitter. Glenn, thanks so much. Appreciate you hopping on with us and, and talking a little football. Have fun in Atlanta next week. Thanks. All right, guys. Thank you. Hope to be on again next week. So from the SEC to Scotland, coming up next, Ned Michaels, who is covering the British Open, part of the broadcast with the BBC, which is amazing. We'll talk to Ned about that experience and about this tournament so far. That's coming up. This is Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 on a Friday. Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski with you. British Open going on right now at the Old Course at St. Andrews in Scotland. Momentarily, we're going to be joined by Ned Michaels. He is a longtime friend of ours, friend of the show, Paul, in a past radio life in, in Nashville. He was a contributor on our show, a host on our station, and uh, he has done well for himself because he's a, a, a part of the three-man crew on the BBC broadcast of the British Open. So um, we'll talk yeah, I to did Ned. A double take when I heard this. It's a fantastic yeah. uh, career move for him and progress. And congratulations to him. Yeah, good. No, that's awesome. Good, good for him. We'll ask him about that, that process and obviously about the tournament that uh, everyone's watching right now and everyone's going to be watching over the weekend. Speaking of that tournament, leaderboard update for you. Cameron Smith is at 13 under par, and this is through two rounds for everyone now. Cameron Smith through, through two rounds, 13 under, two strokes ahead of Cameron Young, the American, at 11 under par. Rory McIlroy, the FanDuel favorite coming into the tournament, is at 10 under par. Victor Hovland at 10 under. Dustin Johnson alone at 9 under in fifth. Scotty Scheffler at 8 under. Tyrell Hatton at 8 under. And then there's a big group at seven under par. Phil, Mick Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, neither one of them made the cut. Uh, Phil Mickelson finishes five over par. Tiger Woods, nine over par. And the cut was even, right? Yes, yes. Some notable Americans in the mix. Xander Shoffley at five under par. Jordan Spieth at four under par. Harold Varner the third, four under par. Patrick Reed also at four under par. And uh, there are some, some live tour names close to the top of the, the leaderboard, most notably Dustin Johnson, who's in fifth right now at nine under par. So we are connecting with Ned Michaels, and we will talk some golf with him as soon as he gets up. Ned, by the way, nice enough to join us. I think he said, I thought it was a six-hour different when we were there in London, Paul, for the Titans game in 2018, is, is what my memory tells me it was. But he, I think it may be seven hours different. So I think it's... Uh, Eleven twenty-two, possibly right now. We'll ask Ned, in fact, because he is ready to go with us right what now. What an opening question! Ned, what time is it? Ned, where you great are? seeing you, my friend. Uh, it's it's been too long. Congrats on all the success. And yes, first question: What time is it where you are right now? No, it's a six-hour difference, so it's it's ten twenty something or other. But um, we had long day of coverage because over here we stay. I'm working for the BBC this week, so we stayed on for McElroy and then the post-game report that we do. But then the great part is we all come back to the house, cook a nice dinner. We might have a libation or two. We get to watch the show because uh, it airs uh, again this evening. So uh, we just kind of have a nice hang and detox of the day. So it's, it's a, uh, a fun event. But, uh, hey, before we get into this, I want to say so happy for all the success you all are having. Well, thank you so much, Ned. And we're, we're happy for your Likewise success as well. to you. Um, it's, it's great to reconnect with you. And, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it's awesome. So I, I want to start with that. 
Um, you have been around golf media in a number of different ways for a while. How do you get involved with Peter Alice, a legend in England? <laughs> and how, how do you work your way up to this, this point right now? Kind of take us through the process of what led you to this uh, BBC house that you're in right now at the British Open at St. Andrews. Well, you guys know how it is. It's um, one of those things you're in the right place at the right time. But uh, I took on the mantra of the only way to be in the right place at the right time is to be everywhere all the time. So when I, when I started, it, it was I just did, said yes to everything. And I, and I still will say yes to just about everything because I love it so much. But um, I worked with at Fox and there's a, a fellow by the name of Ken Brown, who was uh, a five-time Ryder Cupper and is a uh, European superstar. And he's from the UK. And um, he just kind of took me under his wing for whatever reason. Either he saw something in me or he thought, God, this guy's so terrible. I got to save him from himself. Um, and and they needed a, an American voice on the BBC's coverage. He threw my name in the hat and went to bat for me. And, um, you know, now I'm the American voice for BBC Golf. So it is uh, beyond an honor to be able to do it. Uh, we do the Ryder Cup. We do the um, uh, Open Championship. And then we'll do also Solime Cup and uh, the Women's Open, a, a handful of events. It's, um, it's an incredible, incredible crew. And we just actually this week uh, had the life celebration of Peter Alice, who's, who's maybe the best who have ever done it. Um, it was here in St. Andrews. They weren't able to have the ceremony for him during COVID. So we had a nice, it was a two hour celebration where so many stories were told. And then of we may have lost Ned for a second, probably froze up. We'll try to reconnect with Ned uh, froze up on the, the zoom. Hopefully we can reconnect with him. A great lesson to, uh, you know, if you're willing to do everything, you got to be right time, right place involves being a lot of places. Um, so we've got that from him. Yeah, Looks Ned, like Ned, is, Ned is back with us. Ned, I, I, I want to start with this yeah. in terms of your coverage. Uh, what is the strategy for covering the live players with the BBC in, in this tournament and, and how you discuss that story? Is it even a story with you during the broadcast? And what are some of the, the differences that you see with American coverage of that story versus what, what you guys are doing with the BBC? Yeah, um, this is my philosophy. This is not, doesn't come down from the top or anything for me. I'm here to talk about the 150th open championship. And if you're qualified to get into this championship, frankly, I don't care how you got here. Uh, you earned your way into this event. So I don't care what tour you're playing on. Uh, I don't care if you're a winner on the PGA tour, the European tour. I'm talking about the open championship because at the end of the week, somebody's going to have the cleric jug. And there's not going to be an asterisk by it on what tour he plays on, uh, how much he's getting paid. All of that is totally irrelevant. Somebody's going to win the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews. And for me, as, as a golf fanatic and fan, that, that's as good as it gets. So I don't, I don't really care. And for me, it's just not a storyline this week. Separate of the British Open, just your quick thoughts on, on what it's doing uh, to the game and the, the two factions here. It's, uh, yeah. And, and it's, so it's tricky because uh, I get some side of it. You know, I, I played on the Asian tour. I played on the European tour. Uh, I know what it's like. I haven't played many tours that money is appealing 
Uh, and some players like McElroy play for championships and they play for legacy. And same as Tiger. But at the same time, I understand why you would go to live and take the money. Um, I remain an optimist in this, that hopefully somehow what Liv is doing is going to bring golf into the forefront and somehow the tour, somehow the DP slash European world tour um, and Liv can coexist because that's only going to be good for the game of golf, in my opinion. And right now I'll tell you what, if, if you are a take top 200 player in the world, maybe 150, if you're a top 150 player in the world, you're getting ready to play for more money than you have ever thought about playing for. And to me, as a former player, that's really exciting to think about. Because every one of the tours, PGA, European Tour, Live Tour, Asian Tour, they're all now playing for more money. They're flush with cash. And to me, as a player, that's the exciting part. Cameron Smith with a two-stroke lead heading into the third round. What's been keying his performance so far, and do you think it's sustainable? Oh, boy, is it sustainable. I mean, the guy's got the big mullet, right? And Chad, you know. Mullet is a lifestyle, and he's living it. Yeah, he's, he, he is this dude. He looks like he should probably have a Foster's uh, oil can, the beer can, in his hand <laughs> right. at all times. Just like looking at him, I feel like he should be playing like Edward Forty Hands from back in college, but have two Foster's <laughs> right. oil cans in his hands. That's that's the way the guy looks. And the cool part about it is there are a couple of young players now from Australia who, who qualified here for the Open, and they too are rocking the long blonde mullet. So he's, he's putting on the look, but listen, this guy is for real. He's the reigning players champion. He won uh, the century tournament champions out in Maui shot like 34 under, but here's the thing I like about Cameron Smith right now is he can win in a multitude of ways. He can win putting well, he can win hitting the ball. Well, he can win just kind of working his way around the golf course. And two years ago, that wasn't the case. He, he, he wasn't a good enough ball hitter and, he, under pressure, kind of hooked the driver, and, and he's eradicated that from his game. So this guy, yeah, he can he can make it to the finish line, and he doesn't have to have his best stuff. If he has his best stuff, it's pretty much over. Can Dustin Johnson make it to the finish line the, the way he's playing right now, four strokes off the pace at nine under par? Yeah, but I, th- I do think, and again, this is where the live comes in. I mean, he's been playing three-round events. And I do think that's going to hurt them. They've been playing shotgun where everybody starts at the same time. You know, over here in the open, the final final pairing might not go out till 2.33 in the afternoon. So what do you do with all your time? It's something he's not used to. In that fourth round, I think he might play well tomorrow. But I would suspect on Sunday, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think he'd play well. Ned, Ned Michaels, by the way, who's with the broadcast for the BBC, is our guest on Outkick360 at Ned Michaels on Twitter. What was the moment like for you watching Tiger Woods, knowing he's not going to make the cut, but walking up that 18th fairway for what seemingly is the final time at a British Open at St. Andrews? It was bittersweet. That's what it was. Because it was so great to have him here. And the fact that he is able to compete at all is a testament to his willpower and really his pain threshold. Because the three of us would have been puking in a bucket and not even thinking about playing golf. I mean, his leg is shredded. The pain he must be feeling, incredible. Uh, And so, you know, I I thought he was going to pause a little bit on the Swillican Bridge there on the way to the 18-3, but he didn't. Kind of tipped his cap and kept walking, which was a sign to me, and I'm probably reading too much into it, but it was a sign to me that he thinks 
I'm not done yet. I've got, I'll come back here next time they have it and I'll play. I know I won't make the cut, but I'll give everybody the proper farewell at that point. But I think in his mind, he still thinks he can win an open championship. And so, um, you know, he got a little teary when he saw McElroy tip his cap. And uh, I think for him, he said that he felt like the, the entire tournament was right there watching him and cheering him on and, and at least acknowledging what he's done for the game and for the open. But um, the only thing, Paul, is that I, I wonder, like a boxer, you know, does he think he's got a few more fights in him when maybe it would be time to shut it down? Is there somebody, Ned, outside the top 10 who, uh, and that's a long way off there, what, uh, seven strokes, but maybe that you think has a charge in him, particularly if, if Smith and the leaders come back a little bit? Yeah, it is interesting. It's a good question there. I think there are only five players in the top 20 who have actually won a major. So you do have some experience in Cameron Smith. He's, he's reigning players champion again, but he's, he's never won a major. Um, Cameron Young has never won a major. He played in the final group of the PGA Championship in Tulsa a couple months ago, but he didn't get it done. And there's a big difference between being in the final group and actually getting it done. That being said, you know, somebody coming outside the top 10 is going to have to play exceptionally well and get lucky with the weather, meaning they're going to have to have some wind. And if we get wind and we get rain over the weekend, which is slated wind for sure, maybe a little bit of rain, then Listen, all bets are off. You can get somebody who's in 38th place who shoots a couple of good rounds and tees off early. So there's nobody coming off the screen right now in my mind. But, I, I, again, I think it's, it's the top six players. Though, that's where the winner's coming from. Well, I'm going to ask about a specific guy, quite frankly, because I bet on this player. Uh, Jordan Spieth, who's nine back right now at, at four under, obviously a, a past major champion, is he someone that, with these conditions, on this course, in this setting, could make a big charge? Yeah, I, I, I might have picked Spieth as well uh, to have a, have a chance. I don't think so. Nine's too many back. There's, the weather isn't, isn't going to be, I don't think, uh, tumultuous enough where you could go out and shoot a 65 and you know, pick up seven shots or something like that. I, I think the weather's going to be windy. The whole locations are going to be a little bit dicey, but nine? He's going to have to go out and shoot what a pair of pair of sixty sixes, and that probably still won't get it done. He's I'll, going to have to do something historic. He'll have to throw a sixty three at it. I'll follow the same line of questioning and follow my money, and I don't even know if I've got the guy's first name right, Ty- Tyrell Hatton. Mm. What made you pick him? Oh, uh, I've got some tipsters that I follow on on He's Twitter. He's got his method, Ned. He doesn't want to reveal method. his yeah. method. Come it's on, very, it's, it's very. It, it's a comp. It's a complicated formula that he uses every time. He can't the get system. that away. The system. It doesn't involve a dart, does it? No. <laughs> if it involved uh, a dart, I'd be worse than uh, tied for sixth. I like Terrell Hatton a lot uh, this week, especially. You know, he's one here twice prior at St. Andrews, uh, a tournament called the Dunhill Lynx Championship where they use St. Andrews and Carnoustie and a couple of the local courses. Uh, the golf course is a different time of year, totally different setup. It's an amateur, kind of like our Pebble Beach on the PGA Tour, so the whole locations are a lot easier and more approachable. That being said, you know, you watch Terrell Hatton in the majors, got an awful record compared to how good of a player he is. And it's because he just the mental stress of a major cracks Terrell Hatton. It always does. But this place, he likes, and for, for him, it's a calming 
golf course. And so he knows where he's supposed to hit it. He understands if you misplay a shot, you're going to get penalized. But if you hit a good shot, you're going to get rewarded. And he's, what, second best putter on the PGA Tour, really? He's one of the top five putters on the planet. So I, I actually think Terrell Hatton is going to stick his nose into this thing late Sunday. I like it. We, uh, Ned, we've had the, the privilege of, of being at Augusta National and stepping foot there, and you feel the place when you're there, right? There's an atmosphere. There's a vibe to it that uh, is special. What is St. Andrews like from that vibe standpoint when you walk on those grounds, you see that clubhouse? What, what is that experience like for you? You know, when you go, uh, you go to church, that's like going to the Masters. But when you go to church, there's that little small chapel that really gets you. That's St. Andrews. It just has a special place in the heart of every golfer. It is a home of golf. And as soon as you step foot on the ground, you know you are in a spiritual, hallowed place. Uh, and so, yeah, every time you're here, you, you do feel it and you do appreciate it. And you just kind of sit and soak it in. What is something Ned, that, that that's very well said? What's something that you would not know about St. Andrews or how special it is unless you're there? And maybe it's a place in the clubhouse. Maybe it's a specific spot on the course that you that TV's either not going to be allowed to capture or TV can't properly capture unless you're you're there. All right, there's there's a bunch, but I'll give you two that just popped to mind. First of all, on Sundays, you can walk your dog on St. Andrews, the old course. Just let it, let them have at it. You don't need a leash or anything. Dogs and people just it's open to the public. Just have at it. Throw a ball if you want. Very different so from Augusta me, National in that respect. <laughs> yeah. they, they, don't, they don't allow it. Augusta <laughs> National, last I checked, pets on the premise. So very right. different. They'd shoot your dog. Right. You know, it, it, they're actually in its charter. It, it's part of the town and part of the public landscape. So on Sundays, you and your dog can go out. And then every time I show up, you learn little tidbits and nuggets of history that you didn't know. And I'll, I'll educate you on you know, the, the Valley of Sin, right, that guards the 18th green. The reason it's called that is because when old Tom Morris was building the golf course and they were dredging that part out, they found bones of uh, human remains. And it was a burial site during the plague. And they pushed a bunch of dead bodies into this thing. And so as they were cleaning it out and as they were building this Valley of Sin, that the, the town said, you have to stop building this golf course. You have to stop building the screen. You have to move it. And old Tom Morris said, no, I already have the design. I like the design. We're going to do it. And so they thought that was sinful. And it's called the Valley of Sin. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, had, I had no idea. Ned Michaels educating us, entertaining us. He is live from Scotland, part of the broadcast, the BBC for the British Open. Ned, really appreciate the time. Uh, I know it's 10.38 p.m. there, 10.39 now. <laughs> in Scotland, so it's, it's late. But I really appreciate this visit. It was great catching up with you, and congrats on all the success. Great to see you. Man, it's always always an honor to be with you all. It's been so fun to uh, learn from you all through, throughout the years. Again, congratulations on the success, and call me anytime. I'm just totally honored to do it. Cheers. Ned Michaels, thank you so much, Ned. And enjoy Scotland as well. Uh, really cool. I had no idea about the, uh, the Valley of Sin. It's he crazy. called it. I didn't even know that was a thing. I wonder what they did with the where they went and buried, reburied those remains. And uh, walking your dog on the old course on well, Sundays. Yeah, it wouldn't apply to you. You hate dogs. Also, you hate Sundays at yeah. St. Andrews. So You're apparently, a Saturday guy. What I just heard was if I ever go to a British Open at St. Andrews, I'll be there on 
Saturday. Th- Thursday through yeah. Saturday. Yeah, you're not, and you're not a final I'll round guy. GTFO I'm on sure Sunday that's for the susp- dogs. I'm sure that's suspended on Sunday of the final round. Uh, well, <clears throat> Paul, when we come back, let's, let's talk about what we want to see over the weekend with the British Open. Uh, this is the last few games before the All-Star break in Major League Baseball. We have, with SEC Media Days next week, we're going to tell you about some things we got going on with OutKick, with SEC Media Days coverage as well. This is kind of a, a transitional time of year as we, uh, as we enter mid-July and, and everything going on. So plenty of things that we can get into, and we'll recap some of the things we learned from Ned Michaels as well. That's all coming up next. This is OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Final segment of OutKick 360 across the OutKick network, live from our downtown Nashville 6th and Peabody studios. Big thanks to Old Smoky Moonshine Yeehaw Beer for hosting us every day. Uh, Paul, big plans for this weekend? Are you going to uh, try to embarrass another uh, trainer in any no, way or make no, them feel no, bad about themselves? No, no. I, I've got my workouts None in for the week, so I'm fine. Uh, Simon's got a, no reason an to old friend this weekend? sleeping over this, this weekend. He's already over, sleeping over tonight. Tomorrow I have promised a trip to Opry Mills. Uh, I've got ulterior motives because I've got some shopping I want to do, but they will spend some time at David Buster's. Nice. Um, and I hope they're more into the games than they are into the prizes because there's nothing more miserable than watching kids sort through their tickets at the Dave & Buster's prize closet uh, room where uh, they get stuff that they've paid a lot of money for. We, we went through this in Gatlinburg oh, uh, recently with my 7-year-old where I, I just, while our 2-year-old was napping, I took her to an arcade. And we got, after about an hour, I was like, okay, let's collect our tickets and go see what we can get. And in the process of a seven-year-old girl trying to sort through get the perfect match. prizes. Oh. Okay, how much now? How much do I have left? And I'm trying to do the math in my head on everything. I'm like, okay, you can get three of these, and then two of these, and then. But that means you can't get that. The uh, factoring the opportunity cost of a seven-year-old kid at an arcade toy area is very difficult. I, I tell so you, I it only on gets worse as you get a little bit older. Um, but I mean, it's unbelievable. Like I would like to go in and they should put a junk store next to Dave and Buster's where you go in and say, look, when we're done, I'll buy you some junk in here. Let's just give the tickets to some little kid. It looks uh, unfortunate. And, and we'll avoid that whole process of you having to divide or just get candy. I just mean, go in and you- say, here's what I got. Give me all the candy I can get for that. Yeah. And you are at a huge mall. So you could just say. Here, the charity case, give this to the little kid, and then you take the boy somewhere else to buy him something. Yeah, let's mall. go get ice cream. Like what's, I don't know what store they'd want to go to to buy something, but, you know, either. something else. But I, By uh, the way, uh, Opry Mills Mall or any mall that size sounds like hell for someone like you. 
to be in a place like well, that. Well, if I've got a motive, if I've got something that I want to shop for, th- then I'm fine. And I go there maybe twice a year, you know, seasonally. So, And then we're going to swim. Uh, I think the forecast is, is all right. So uh, we'll be at the neighborhood pool and we'll have a good time there. Um, and I've, I've actually got some work to do. I'm going to get a better head start on Sunday night than I've been doing. I've got outstanding expenses. I finally learned the system. I've got to get those done. I got something I want to write for Monday morning at, at the site. And uh, I, I got to do some homework on SEC meetings. So Sunday night, I'm going to try to actually do some work. Um, what do you want to see, Paul, at the British Open uh, over the weekend? I, I gave you kind of my dream yeah, scenario. Yeah, I like your dream scenario. Look, what Dustin I want to Johnson see is... Dustin Johnson versus Rory on, on Sunday, battling it out with Liv versus the most outspoken PGA Tour player against Liv in that type of drama on Sunday and American and someone from the UK. I like that, and I think there'll be excellent things written about it after the fact. I don't think it'll be addressed during the telecast, um, which will make it a little bit awkward because I think we'll text each other and be like, yeah, the fact that they're not saying anything about the rivalry here between the two in terms of where they're going after this uh, is is quite awkward. But I'm also going to root for my money. I've got Hatton top five. He's six under. Um, and tied for sixth. Fleetwood, another guy that I bet constantly is three under. be harder for him to get up there, but some people could come back. Um, so I've got them both top five. I had hopes for Oosthuizen, uh, but he's, he didn't make the cut. But he's won there in the past, so I, I, was, I was rooting for him. But I, I just want it to be tight, generally speaking. I don't want anyone to run away from the field. It'll hurt me if Cam Smith wins because, as I've said, yeah. I've bet on him so consistently, and uh, I didn't think of him for this tournament for some reason. A couple of big takeaways from Ned Michaels in our discussion. Uh, asking him about Dustin Johnson, says, keep in mind he's been playing 54 whole tournaments with shotgun starts in the live he tour. He thinks he's going to die. So he thinks Sunday. he's going to fade starting tomorrow. That'll uh, be very with, interesting with to setup. see. Uh, guys who've been playing predominantly live. Uh, not that there's anybody else at the top necessarily to to, to watch, but to uh, watch Taylor, the Taylor live, Gooch is at yeah. seven under, so only two back. To watch the Dustin live Johnson. field generally and see Sunday scoring, I I think will be interesting. Yeah, and and the other one was uh, his response, and I think Paul, you kind of hit on this earlier when we talked about it. Tiger Woods had the emotional walk down the 18 fairway at St Andrews. Final time we're going to see him in a British Open, probably at St. Andrews, and took it all in, and the crowd you know, treated it that way and respected it that way. But you know, Ned said, bittersweet watching it, because you watch a guy who's you know, one of the greatest of all time, and you just realize this is probably it. You know, this is, this is, we're not going to see competitive golf out of him. And, and while we applaud the perseverance and the pain tolerance and everything else, it's kind of difficult to watch at so times. He made the cut at the Masters, correct? Yes. And it's been all downhill since then. Well, he, I think he also made the cut at the PGA in Tulsa, I want to say, but withdrew. Withdrew in the third round. Yeah. Yeah. I think he withdrew on Saturday. After the third round. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely yeah, going to be one to watch. Yeah, look, he's not on a good trajectory right now. And I don't know that, uh, you know, he's probably going to play very little between now and the end of the season and then gear up for, for a Masters again. But I don't know, you know. Look, you said it earlier. What you hope for is, is that there's a dream sequence where he has a, a, a one phenomenal major left in him. But I think, you know, it's a dream. 
if it happens, it'll be one of the great stories of all time. But I think it's, it's a super, super long shot. And in case you missed a big headline today in the NFL, the Houston Texans settle with 30 Deshaun Watson accusers out of court. Cal McNair, the owner, and the Texans released a statement saying this is no admission of guilt, uh, no admission that we had any knowledge of anything, but just showing how serious we take these accusations. Uh, and uh, uh, Tony Busby, who's representing the accusers, said it's telling how different the Texans handled this as opposed Deshaun to Deshaun Watson. Watson. And, I really want to know the number. Like, what, what, you, you venture a guess on, on what? Like, six figures. Got to be six figures, don't uh, you think? Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, it's look, it's if we knew the number, we'd say, man, that's a lot of money. It's probably not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things for an NFL no, owner. No, not in the Texans' budget, but or an NFL team. But yeah, I, I would I would venture to say that it's it's quite a bit of money. Um, so timeline to watch now. A lot of people pointing to this coming Friday, July twenty third, late afternoon news dump, or by that Monday. July 25th for some word from the NFL on punishment. You know what? I'm not buying the news dump idea because I don't think – is it Sharon Robinson? I can't think of her first name. Sue L. Robinson. Sue yeah. Robinson, thank you. Got to get the middle I don't know that she's too. interested in news dumping. She's not on the NFL schedule. If the NFL was doing it, it certainly would be a news dump. If the NFLPA was doing it, they'd certainly look to news dump. But I don't know that she's got any interest in making sure that talk shows don't have this fresh – I don't know that she's interested in making sure that websites don't get this at peak hit time. What's her incentive to news dump it? She's not beholden to the NFL uh, on this. She's independent. And so I, I don't know why we're concluding that when she's done, she won't announce it. And if she's done at noon on a Wednesday, that she wouldn't announce her conclusion or reveal her conclusion and if it's at noon on a Wednesday, guess who that's good for? Outkick 360. They'll talk about it at 2 on a Wednesday. Speaking of Outkick 360, we'll have some great coverage for you from Atlanta. SEC Media Days all next week. You're going to be hearing a lot about that throughout the week. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have you covered there. We'll have you covered here next week as well. And, Paul, every day you've got a message for the people. It's been on the a good way week. Yeah, fun, been fun, my friend. Don't block the box. And be sure to lock your lock.